Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Wow, what a great uh, opportunity to be here as Diane and I have journeyed this way and also just happened to be that Heidi was journeying this way also with uh, the two grandkids, Bella and Bristol, and uh, we all landed up at the same place at the same time. And uh, Colin wasn't able to come, but his folks uh, came today and appreciate that. So good to see you guys here. So uh, uh, for the last 11 and a half years, uh, Diane and I have been living in Hillsboro, and I counted a real privilege to serve with your uh, stewardship ministry, uh, MB Foundation. And uh, I enjoy that in many ways. I get to be in churches such as this and also get a sense of what God's doing. And I know for many of you, sometimes it can become wearisome, uh, but I just want to encourage you because I hear good things. And I uh, appreciate what God's doing. And I want to encourage you with Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time he, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So we as a foundation want to just encourage you. We want to come along and cheer you on. And as we get into churches like this, we also know how better to serve you. And uh, so we want to do some of that uh, even this afternoon as well. And so we serve the U.S. conference uh, across the United States in many different ways. Uh, And uh, we are located in Hillsborough, Kansas. And we have about 21 employees, and we also have a satellite office in Fresno, California. As we serve, our main goal and objective is to, as it were, gather resources, to manage those resources, and then to disperse them for kingdom causes uh, of a variety of ways. And we focus our energy in several different ways. Pastor Luke already identified five or some of them, and I'll just highlight five of them, then I want to just give you a brief overview of some of the things going on. One of the things we do is we offer loans to churches that are building churches or pastors that are needing a loan to purchase a home. Uh, these loans are made possible by people investing with us, and we turn around and, and loan the money out. We offer planned giving services. We help people be charitable while they're living and also think about being charitable at their passing as well. And then we offer fund management. That's not fund management. We try and have fun, but it's fund management, uh, managing uh, endowments, uh, lifetime uh, agreements, uh, end-of-life agreements, I may say, and uh, all of it for kingdom work, and then we champion biblical stewardship. So a couple things going on that I'd just like to highlight uh, that have happened uh, over the last year. I'm continually impressed about how generous people are. And in 2022, there was about $13.6 million that came through the foundation, and we were able to disperse it to around 460 different ministries that people indicated, send this money to certain ministries. So a significant opportunity to do that. And many of these gifts came from current gifts, like some of you are farmers, or maybe commodities that came through and were donated, cash, securities, stock. Uh, came in the door, and then we dispersed it as people requested. 
Also legacy gifts from beneficiary designations, uh, life insurance policies or other things that came in and legacy gifts in people's estate. As I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the services we offer is our loan portfolio. And this is where people invest with the foundation and uh, then they get a return. And here's a, a picture of uh, some of the returns that we are currently offering in the unique market that we find ourselves in. And uh, then we turn around and loan this money out. We also have a special arrangement coming up. I have a slide here that says that in May through, uh, or March through May, uh, you'll be able to get a special rate for an 11-month investment. So check with me or there's information on the table in the fellowship hall about that. Some of the churches that have benefited from these loans, just to highlight a couple, let's go to uh, South Texas. Uh, 18 years ago, Mission uh, MB Church had a dream of having a new facility. They began praying about it, and last year it became a reality. And they dedicated it uh, here this other year and are experiencing significant impact in the community because of a facility now that is updated and they can use it in a variety of ways. Also, uh, if you travel to Utah, you're very well aware that we have various uh, MB churches there uh, in the Utah area. And one of these is uh, in Salt Lake area is the Lakeview Church. The Lakeview Church was started in 2018 by Phil Weeb, and as they started to reach into a culture of the LDS culture, they began to sense a need to start another church in what is called Grantsville, which is about 40 miles from where they're at. And uh, through this start, many individuals are, are experiencing God's blessing, and MB Foundation was able to come alongside of the work in Grantsville. They had uh, received a significant donation, and we were able to help with some financing there. I may mention that um, many of you, of course, know Jason and Nicole. They have their roots here, and it's exciting to hear what God's doing uh, in their area uh, where they serve. I know they have uh, some building exploration going on, and we hope that at some point we can assist them with a loan as well. Over the past several years, MB Foundation has also developed uh, various different uh, initiatives to encourage the local church, and here's just a listing of some from Thrive to Lead Gen to a scholarship program Lead Gen that helps uh, students as well as other individuals uh, prepare for work within the kingdom work in the MB church, and even our district minister received one of these here recently. We also are involved in will planning workshops. That brings us to this afternoon. So any of you, like, will, uh, like Luke said, you're welcome to come. Uh, we won't keep you past the, or into the Super Bowl game. Uh, we won't even get close, but we'll share some things there that I think will be helpful. And so that's part of what we want to do as you think about stewarding your resources is putting your house in order. So we're going to focus on that a little bit this afternoon. And then... Um, Another thing uh, that we recently did, as some people have transitions in life, uh, Bob Ewerts uh, in Minnesota had some land uh, that they'd had in the family for a while, but they also had a heart for ministry. And as they moved toward retirement, they said, how can we gift 40 acres of this land, including the home place, to ministry? So they work with us. We received the land as a donation. We then sold it to the individual that was farming it. And they were able to use the money from that 
to help with a ministry that was close to their hearts, LCC International University, a Christian university in Lithuania that's also training individuals and leaders from the Ukraine. And so a couple in Minnesota selling land, donating it for a cause, and uh, then as a result of that, the kingdom is expanding, people are being trained. So a significant thing uh, to be involved with. And through this, uh, the Ewerts and many others are learning that it's possible for God to do significant things when we offer up our resources and great things uh, can happen for eternity. So just uh, to close off this kind of overview of the foundation, um, I'm going to be around uh, today and, and tomorrow and can be also available on Tuesday. There's some things that you'd like to visit about, would love to do that, and uh, just get a hold of me and, and glad to, to chat with you also. There's some informational things in the uh, fellowship hall that you can look at and become acquainted with as well. Well, let's transition into our uh, message for this morning. Luke, I, I take it as an honor uh, to be here, and uh, I know that as a pastor, to turn over the pulpit is uh, a scary thing, and uh, so I hope that um, you won't be too scared, uh, but that it'll all turn out well, and uh, really appreciate it, so thanks. Thanks very much. Lord, let's uh, just direct our attention now to your word um, Lord, we all have um, important things on our mind, and uh, today we want to focus in an area that's uh, really important in how we impact the next generation, how we help them and encourage them to be generous, and so guide and direct, even as I facilitate this, uh, help us that we will be in touch with you through this. In your name, amen. Talking with Luke here, I don't know, several months ago, I found out that you were going to be in a unique series of messages uh, this, this time period, uh, kind of challenge and accept, uh, uh, I think that's kind of the, the theme you're following, giving a challenge and then you accept the challenge and you begin to live out that challenge and one of the things you've been talking about is messy prayers, we had some conversation about that in Sunday school today, you know, and the importance of not just saying words in our prayers, but just laying it out before God and uh, let, really laying our heart out as, uh, and maybe as discombobulated as it can be sometimes, and just praying even messy prayers about our family before God. And as, as I thought about this, and as he said the series that you were going to be in, I had to think about some of the work that I'm involved with as well. And I, I thought about the question, and that is, what type of prayers describe my prayers for my children and my grandchildren? If you had today to pin out a description of the praise, prayers that you are praying for your children and grandchildren, what type of prayers do you think would go up on the descriptive wall? Well, I think as I think of some of the prayers that I've prayed, Diane and I have prayed for our children, even our grandchildren, you naturally think about, Lord, keep them safe during the day, right? Help them get to, from point A to point B without any major issues going on, okay? Um, you oftentimes pray that God will not uh, uh, isolate them in the world, but insulate them, I, I call it. You know, we have so much going on in our world, and uh, Lord, uh, I don't want you to 
uh, you know, take them out of the world, but yet at the same time, I want you to insulate them so that they can withstand the enemy darts that are frequently flying around. So we pray about their spiritual well-being. We pray about God guiding them in those big decisions. Do you remember praying those prayers, especially for your kids, uh, maybe when they were getting to the point of looking at someone else and dating, and you go, oh, Lord, please help them. (laughs) Help them to have wisdom and knowing if this is the one, or maybe that location of where to go in, in their jobs. But Let me ask you now a specific question. How many of us have prayed that our children or our grandchildren would be generous? Has that come on our radar? Lord, help my child or my grandchild or my nieces and nephews that I relate to to be generous. Uh, I'll confess that uh, of all my prayers, I don't recall really praying a lot about having Heidi and Nathan be generous. Or even our grandkids now, Bella and Bristol. I, I, I'll confess, I don't know if that's been on the radar that much. But, you know, if we truly are wanting them to be all that God would want them to be, if we want them to truly develop into the people God intends them to be, generosity is a part of that. Christ gave himself. He was very generous. He invites us to follow his example. So should we not also be praying that they be generous people as well. Well, in 1 Chronicles 29, 18, we see that King David prays such a prayer for his son, Solomon, and and all the future generations. And specifically, he offers a prayer and requests of God that his son and future generations be generous. Let's see what he says. If you have your scriptures, it's here on the screen as well. We can follow along. O Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. Keep their hearts loyal to you and give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build this partial this uh, um, structure um, for which I have provided. Hmm. You say, well, how did you get generosity out of that? Well, let me kind of defend myself and explain how I got that out of there. This whole question of to keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever, what all does that mean? What is he saying? What is he wanting to be in their hearts forever? Well, David's in a building program, a building campaign. Many of us have been a part of different types of building campaigns, even not only in this church, but in the community and beyond. And David was the king of Israel. He had served for 40 years. He was now in the twilight days of his kingship. And one of his greatest desires would be that he would build a temple for God. And that's what he yearned for. That's what he desired. But God said, sorry, David, you're not going to build this temple. In fact, he said, you are not going to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Boy, how would you like to hear that? Something that you've dreamed for and thought of and planned for is now nixed by Almighty God 
because of something that you've been involved with, thinking and indeed following after God. So what things have you thought about and dreamed about in your life that were on your mind and you thought about? I remember in high school, um, I enjoyed life. I was looking forward to, even in high school, the day when I would get married. I didn't have one in mind at that point, but that's first a good qualification, you need to have someone. Uh, but secondly, uh, was just looking forward to that, a companionship. I remember even praying a prayer and saying, God, don't come until I'm married. Uh, for whatever reason, I just felt that was really important. And God answered that prayer for now, what, 44 years? He hasn't come, I guess, so someday he will come. But I remember that was something that was on my mind. I, I, I said, Lord, you know, here's the arrangement that I'm thinking uh, would be good. Well, David uh, also had a burning desire. He had dreamed and he'd planned over the years for this temple, and yet God said no. David could have been upset. He could have said, well, forget it. I'm not even going to be a part of it. I'm not going to push for it. I'm not even going to be on the building uh, committee because I'm never going to see it. Yet, this is not the direction he chose to go. And we read instead in the following verses in chapter 28 and 29 that he enthusiastically got behind the building program and even though he knew he would never see it in his lifetime. And he did several things to encourage this. First of all, in 1 Chronicles 28, 11 through 19, he gave the plans of the temple to his son. So he had been thinking and strategizing and so he mapped them out and he said, here, Solomon, Here's the plans. Here's what God's directed me to. And then in verse 20 and 21, he encouraged his son and said, you can do this with the Lord's help. Uh, I know you're young, but don't be afraid. Go forward with it. So he gave his blessing upon it. In 1 Chronicles 29, he got down to where the rubber met the road, and he made some contributions. I mean, that really showed he was a part of the plan. In verse 2 of 1 Chronicles 29, he said, I'm stepping out and I'm giving of my resources, and maybe this represented his regular income as a king. And so just reading this, it says in verse 2, verse, uh, chapter 29, 1 Chronicles, with all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings and turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stones and marble, all of these in large quantities. So he said, hey, I'm in. I'm giving up my income, and I'm contributing. In verse 3, though, he goes further, and he digs a little deeper, okay? Now we're getting almost into sacrificial giving, and it could very well be into his retirement plan because he said, I am giving the gold and silver I have saved up. So maybe there was some IRA money he had put aside that he was now going to break into and contribute. Um, he says, beside, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple over and above everything I have already provided to this holy temple. So he said, hey, I'm going to even do more. Well, David then 
was such a testimony and an encouragement to the people that we notice something interesting in verse 6. It says that this inspired the leaders of the community and they began to give. It says then the leaders of the families, the officials of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They said, man, where do I sign up? Where do I give the check? And they were there. And then notice what happened in verse verse 9. This had a chain reaction on the people as they saw what their leaders were doing and the rejoicing that was happening. And it says, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So what you have here is a group of people getting excited about the contributions that were coming in, the giving that was taking place, and it just kind of took off. It was like a snowball going downhill that continued to build momentum, and people were excited and people were were thankful. An infectious spirit sent in of giving. It's kind of like those old-time mission benefit sales. You been to some? You know, where all at once something comes on the auction block, someone starts bidding, all at once someone over here, here, and pretty soon it goes like way beyond what everyone thought because everyone's excited about giving. And pretty soon far more resources have been raised even than what maybe the target response was or the target uh, thought was. You know, that is oftentimes how generosity takes place. You have several that are giving and just excited about it, not for self-glorification, but because they want to give, they want to give the kingdom work, and pretty soon God begins to work and move, and everyone catches the spirit and things take off. I think back to 1990 when the fellowship hall was built. Some of you were around at that point. And, you know, the idea was stirring and simmering, and it was being flushed out, and all at once it started to get rolling, and pretty soon people started to give, and all at once a building was built. And there was an excitement about that. That's just something that, that God uses to stir. So David is saying it is this spirit of generosity, these thoughts of giving, this joy of giving that he is requesting not leave the people but that this special moment continue on forever. In other words, to generation after generation. And he's praying that his children and their children would not lose the spirit of generosity unto the Lord. And so he says, keep these desires and the thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. In other words, to my children and grandchildren and their grandchildren. May this this sentiment continue on and on for your kingdom cause. What brought him to make this request and articulate this type of prayer? Did he feel like this prayer was kind of a nice little logo, a little slogan to use in little speeches that he gave? Oh Lord, help this desire for generosity to continue forever? No. What brought it about? I believe it was based, what was the basis of his prayer? I believe this prayer came about because David was fully devoted to God. He was fully devoted to God. He was sold out. He recognized who God was, 
And throughout this text, we sense a deep sense of gratitude, of love to God. He recognized who God was. And in 1 Samuel 13, 14, he's described as being um, a man after God's own heart. So there was a special connection there that he had with God. And he just couldn't uh, do anything more than just simply, God, I'm wanting to do this for you and to build this for you. David had experienced the joy of forgiveness. And in dark times, he'd claimed God's goodness for him and his presence through the valley of the shadow of death and in spite of his blunders and his mess-ups, yet God had been faithful. And now his natural response was to realize all he had was from God and he had a deep desire to return things to God. And so David then modeled generosity in many ways. You could say he put feet to his prayers. What did we say his prayer was? His prayer would that this spirit of generosity would continue for all generations. He was deeply in love with the Lord, which fueled this as well, but then he modeled it, illustrating to his son and to the generations kind of how to practically put it into motion. And that really got people moving. He offered his resources to God and people saw it. His hand position was an open hand, not a clenched fish. He opened it so he could receive, but he could also give. And he modeled it significantly. So, let me pose a question. If we weigh in and accept the challenge to pray this prayer for our children, grandchildren, to be generous... How can we best see that prayer be answered? I would suggest that one of the ways is to model generosity. Even as David did before his son and his people. And I believe this is one of the ways that God begins to move the younger people as they see what we are doing as we model that. Pause for a moment and try and think what the impact was in David's day when the children and the young people around that particular area all at once uh, heard and saw what the adults were doing. Hey, there's a contribution being taken. Hey, people are bringing funds to the front, gold, silver. They're going home and they're getting things and the kids are saying, what are you doing? And they're saying, we're taking it for a collection. And the kids get motivated. They run to their mat to, I don't know if they had piggy banks, but whatever they had, and they maybe grabbed out some stuff and they brought it and they contributed to it. And they were excited about it. To model generosity means actively writing stories of generosity on our children and our grandchildren's life. Being in the pastorate during our children's formative years, there are many stories I think we probably wrote on our kids' lives. Some, Some were negative, and I trust some were positive as well. Some of those experiences happen here, we trust, that as we wrote stories uh, upon their life. However, there are several situations that come to mind that I, I trust have helped etch generosity upon our kids' life. Two that I want to share come as a result of events happening over holiday seasons and things that took place while we were in the pastorate. 
One of those that came to mind as I was thinking of this was one Christmas as we were in Enid, Oklahoma, and we were getting ready to head to Hillsboro, Kansas to be with Diane's folks. You know, the pastor closes up the church, everyone else is left, but the pastor is there before Christmas, you know, doing those last minute things, and, and that's kind of what we were doing. The kids were anxious to get on to, to Hillsboro, and and lo and behold, I see a poinsettia left at church that was supposed to be delivered to one of the ladies in the hospital. Your first impulse was, why didn't that one deacon do that? Uh, the second response was, Lord, what should I do? <laughs> and, and as I was thinking of that, I said, you know, we need to go do that. We need to take this poinsettia to this lady that was in the hospital, was a single individual, didn't have any other family, and we, it's important we do that. Now, we could have done two things. We could have complained about it and said, hey, guys, wait in the car while I quickly drop this off at the hospital. I'll run up. I'll be back. Then we'll head out. Instead, we made a conscious effort. We said, no, this is going to be a little bit different. So we told the kids, hey, we, we're going to wait just a little bit, but there's an important visit we need to make. We need to take this poinsettia over to St. Mary's, and we need to see a lady who doesn't have any family, and this will be our opportunity to encourage her during this particular season. Got to St. Mary's, got in the door, went up the elevator, went into a room, greeted her, and she was just elated that someone would remember to bring her a poinsettia plant on Christmas. And we talked about that as, as a family to the value that, hey, she didn't have anyone, and that we were able to contribute in just a little bit to her Christmas cheer. And, um, you know, I don't know what impact it made on him, but I hope that in some regard it continued to help lay a foundation of generosity in their lives. There was another situation that happened that uh, uh, I recalled, and that was, again, happening in Enid. It was around Christmas time. And uh, after the service, an usher came up to me and said, oh, there's a gentleman that wants to see you. Now, when you get those messages, quite often it's... Uh, and, and I put it together. They said, someone came to the service and they want to see you after the service. And, and I had recalled the gentleman had come into the service uh, looking kind of just really worn and, and rugged. And, and I, in my own mind, I think I know who's going to wants to see me. And so, again, I had a choice. How do I respond to this? And so went out to the back, got acquainted with him. He was traveling through, hitchhiking through the area. And uh, it was cold. It was blistery, even in Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, he needed a place to stay. And so visited with him in the, in the lobby. Kids were waiting anxiously, and, uh, but made arrangements to get him some food, got him to a hotel, um, talked some with our kids about it, and then during the day, his, that image of him without a, much of a coat came into mind, and finally in the evening I said, hey guys, we need to go see him, and we need to go take a coat to the hotel. So got the kids up, got in the car, headed to the hotel, and he was unavailable at that point, but we left the coat there and then talked about what is it like to be away from family during holidays without much and being lonely. And uh, it was interesting, during that week I had several conversations. He came back by the church, and I found out where he was from, South Dakota. I said, could I call your folks? And he, I, and I forget a little bit of the details, that's a couple years ago, 
But somehow I got a hold of his folks and I told them, I said, I just met your son. He came to church and they said, you're kidding. We haven't seen him for like five months. We had no idea where he was. Thank you so much for just helping him out. He's had a troubled life. He gets a job and then he leaves and we don't have any knowledge of where he's at. And we appreciate the, the insight. You know, and so all of us have different opportunities where we stumble in to generosity opportunities, whether with children or grandchildren. And, and we have some choices at that moment. Which direction do I go here? Do I kind of close things off and just keep going the way I am? Or do I say, God, is this an opportunity for me to minister, but at the same time to model in some way your spirit coming through my life and extending uh, to our family in some ways. Well, as I think of how God began to encourage me to be a generous person, I believe there were various things in my parents' life that I also observed. My folks were active in the church where I grew up, and I remember oftentimes as a kid them stopping by and taking an older person to church with us. Lizzie Lowen happened to just jump in the back, not jump, she kind of had to get very carefully in the back seat, but, uh, and we got her to church. She was kind of just part of the family, and that was what we did on Sunday mornings sometimes. Um, they prepared meals, took them to someone who had experienced the loss or some challenge in life. My father was a, uh, was a farmer, he was a builder. I remember him building and offering his services, oftentimes without pay for helping someone else that needed help building or doing something. Uh, leaving, his, leaving his own wheat field and going and helping someone else, getting his combine into someone else's field when they were having a need or maybe a major breakdown or a health issue. And I remember him giving extra money at the end of a seasonal job to someone uh, because he just wanted to do it and felt it was important. He also took care of my mother's second, um, my, my grandmother's, I should say, second husband and managing his resources when she had died and her second husband did not have any family and was kind of an orphan and he stepped in to do that. So let me ask a question. How are each of us writing stories of generosity upon that next generation? Could be our kids, could be our grandkids, could be other kids that we influence, nieces and nephews. How are we writing stories? In an article I read from World Vision, it stated that if we want to raise up a generous child, then the number one way we can teach generosity is to model generosity and to model it on a day-in and a day-out basis. And this could involve various simple things. When you and your child or grandchild are at a fast food place or grocery store and you see someone in line that's struggling to pay their bill, have you ever thought about helping out and saying, hey, here's some dollars, I'll help you. Invite your child or your grandchild to assist you in making a meal or making cookies and then going with them to the place where they uh, are going to be delivered and visiting that per uh, person. Diane invites Bella over periodically, and, and they make cookies. Bella loves making cookies. And I think the next step in that whole process, and we've talked about it, is, you know, this is an opportunity now 
to move that to another level and say, hey, let's go deliver these cookies to someone uh, and just see the joy of giving in that regard. Explore sharing a giving fund or starting a, a giving fund with your child or grandchild. Maybe provide some seed money and then talk about how are we going to use this money to help someone else. Uh, I know of many families who during Christmas specifically start a fund or identify a fund and say, hey, this year instead of us getting a lot of other gifts, which, you know, we're, we're good with some gifts, but we're really going to focus on what's a project we can do together of getting money together to send to some particular uh, individual or, or place that has a need. Buying a goat, buying a calf uh, through various different ministries can be a significant thing. I work in the area of helping people put together their estate plan, and it's always interesting in that we, we bring in, well, is there something that one may want to contribute to charity? And, and to, to have some conversation about that, and it's interesting to see how people's lights come on almost, and they say, yeah, you know, when I'm gone, I would like certain things to go to s- certain charities that I'm involved with. We've also had some people say, hey, I want to leave a certain amount and then have my kids be responsible for distributing this and kind of let them see the joy of distributing some of my resources. There's a lot of creative ways to, to model that and to encourage that, and we can even talk a little bit about that in the workshop this afternoon. Well, here's the reality. In, in passing on the mindset of generosity to our family members, if we truly want to put feet to our prayers, if we truly want to ask God to help us, I believe it can involve us modeling that as well. Now, to sustain this attitude of generosity in the hearts of family members, David's prayer provided a key component that is the basis for generosity that is found in the latter part. And he says, he prays, Lord, keep their hearts loyal to you. You know, that's really the whole basis. As we think about, I want my kids to be generous, how is it done? Is it done by a legalistic thing? No. It's done by praying that their hearts are fully devoted to God because as they are, that makes the giving so much more easier and it becomes part of their relationship with God. As God and Christ control their hearts, they begin to move and to motivate in various ways. So, during this month, when you're challenged to offer prayers for your family, uh, I would challenge each of us to include a prayer that maybe we haven't been praying before. Lord, help my children to be generous. Help my grandchildren to be generous. And as they are generous, help them also that this would grow out of that deep relationship with you that just propels them forward and so that they can continue to be a blessing then, not only to those around them, but the next generation and the generation after them, and and the kingdom will be expanded in some significant way. Lord, we bow before you this day. We thank you for the fact that you gave generously to us Then you've sprinkled throughout Scripture various stories, various examples about people who were generous. We've looked today at at how you used King David. 
in a building campaign to use it as an opportunity to give and through that he offers a prayer that his children, his grandchildren would, would be generous. Lord, in a world that focuses upon me and my stuff and consumerism, Lord, we need to turn a corner. We need to go against the grain. We need to be generous even as you were generous, giving sacrificially and giving our hearts to you. And as a result, our hands are given and the things that are in our hands are also given. Help us as we wrestle with these truths, as we wrestle with the implication of what it means to be generous in this world, and we give you the praise and the honor of how that will continue to be a blessing to those around us. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.